0: Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today we are continuing our series, Which Way Did He Go? Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with this week's message.
1: Good morning. If we haven't had a chance to actually meet, if you're a first, second time guest, uh, my name is Pastor Josh. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Vertical Church. We're so excited that you're here with us today, and I hope uh, that after our worship experience together, I get a chance to meet you and learn your name and and, uh, all about what brought you here. Uh, this morning so glad to have you worshiping with us today I want to start off with a question because did you see what happened last week did did you see the man jump out of space did, did you raise your hands if you saw the man jump out of the space capsule and and and, and, and Everybody did to raise their hands. So here's what we're going to do. I think we've got the video. Jonathan, if you would go ahead and play the video. This is kind of a recap video of the man who jumped out of outer space. Now, it wasn't really outer space, but you get the deal. Uh, let's go ahead and play that. And you watch this. He went up in this huge helium balloon in a space capsule. You know, a space capsule. Capsule. This was incredible. Uh, I want, See, there's the, the capsule. That's the guy's name. Felix Bumgarner. He goes, he's taking off. Now, he's going to float up about 24 miles. Really? 24 miles. It's somewhere around 128,000 feet. To, to give you some perspective, uh, commercial airliners, they fly around six miles up. This is, what, four times the height of the airplane that takes you from you know, Norfolk to Chicago. You can see the blackness of our space and the curvature of the earth. This was amazing. This is totally the part where I, you know, lose all control of my bodily functions. Oh! While he's falling, he will break the speed of sound. See if I can communicate this to you. As he's falling... He's dropping faster than the words can come out of my mouth. And it's incredible, and then he lands like nothing happened, right? It's incredible. I remember I was watching that last week. I didn't watch football because I wanted to watch the man jump out of the space capsule. When they said when he hit the ground, uh, the only thing that you know, his only thought from the beginning to the end was. I want to get back
0: home. <laughs> I want
1: to get back home. Oh, dear Lord, let me get back home. 1.24, Mach 1.24, that's how fast he fell. That's his fastest speed. That's over 833 miles an hour. It's incredible. It wasn't that long ago, y'all, that we had to strap a jet engine to a machine and put a person inside of it to break the speed of sound. And this dude did it with his body. How crazy that would be! I wonder, it, when, when Felix Bumgarner, when he had this idea, I think that's his last name, no I'm totally messing it up, but you don't know because many of you didn't watch it. When Felix first had this idea, when he said, hey guys, here's what I want to do. I want, I want to get a space capsule, I want to float up to space and then jump out. You think anybody looked at him like he was stupid? Like, Bro, you want to do what? You. Seriously? Like, have you been hanging around some south, you know, southern Alabama redneck people drinking? <laughs> you know, it's like the famous last words of a of a of a southern Georgia redneck. Watch this. You know, did you say that? <laughs> Seriously? He's from Austria, so I don't I don't know if they have rednecks in Austria. I guess they do. Uh, yeah. what, what are you doing? I, I can imagine sitting around the table and saying, okay, you want to like float up in outer space and jump. Right. okay. That's, that's kind
0: of...
1: You know, sometimes when, when you dare to do the impossible, it it's often looks like an exercise in foolishness. It looks like an exercise in stupidity. We might actually say today for our purposes... That believing in God to do the impossible oftentimes looks like an exercise in stupid, in foolishness. I mean, isn't that what faith is? Isn't faith really the willingness to look stupid? You know, one of my prayers in my life is, Dear Lord, don't let me look stupid. (laughs) But isn't that what faith is? The willingness to put yourself in a situation where you look foolish. Think about... Those of you that are real familiar with the Bible, uh, or those of you, maybe this is your first time back to church in a while. You grew up, maybe you went to Sunday school or or vacation Bible school. I don't know what your background is, but you remember the story about Noah, right? God tells Noah, hey, I want you to build this this big boat in the middle of the desert. Chance, Noah's going to come off looking stupid. Think about the story we told last week. With the Israelite army marching around the city of Jericho blowing trumpets. This is their war strategy. Foolish, right? right? Look, you have a chance of looking looking dumb. Think about David. When he's a shepherd boy, he charges this behemoth of a man with what amounts to a slingshot. There's a, there's a big chance to look dumb. The wise man goes. Tramping and, and, and searching for Timbuktu because of the star. Peter is in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and he says, "Hey, I think I'm going to get out and walk." There's always a chance when you try to exercise faith, that you actually are in an exercise that looks absolutely stupid. But the results in these instances't they, they speak for themselves. You know, Noah built the boat, you've got the flood, the rains come and, and all of a sudden he's safe and his family's safe and everybody else, they're trying to tread water for longer than anybody can tread water even on those Discovery Channel shows <laughs> right, the, what happened to the Israelites the Israelites, they march around the city and the walls fall down David cuts Goliath's head off with Goliath's own sword the wise men find the Messiah and Pe- Peter is the only other human being to walk on water And so sometimes even when it feels like we are doing something absolutely ridiculous, what we're doing is we're exercising faith. And the way we talked about praying last week by identifying Jericho, identifying our promise, our dream, the miracle that God and only God could accomplish, oftentimes that feels foolish. And the reality is the bigger the prayer that you pray, the more foolish you're going to feel more stupid, you're going to feel as your prayer gets larger. And the, and the fact is, if you and I aren't willing to look foolish, then then we will never see God do the impossible in our lives, because God doing the impossible often comes um, with the, the risk of our reputation. You know, in order to experience something great, you've got to be willing to take a risk. And the reality is most of the time, that risk, and one of the most difficult risks to take is the risk of our reputation think about Felix for a second now granted if something goes wrong it's not just his reputation on the line you know if something goes wrong at 120,000 feet not much you can do about it but, but let's imagine that he he'd already tried once to get off the ground and they had to cancel it now what if this happens last week and they had to cancel it again and then this other thing it doesn't work out what, the more that happens what's the risk that he's taking people are going to think this guy's a moron. That this is impossible and nobody should do this because the biggest risk most of us will take is risking our reputation. What happens though, if I read history correct, the greatest chapters of history often begin with somebody somewhere taking a huge risk. Really the greatest chapters of our own personal lives. Don't they begin the same way? We took A risk, And sometimes it's a calculated risk. And sometimes it's a risk where we don't have plan B. If plan A doesn't work, we don't have a plan B. And so what I want to invite you to do, if if you're sitting beside someone, I want everybody to kind of participate in this. If you don't have anybody sitting right beside you, maybe you want to write this down. This is the one thing that I want you to take from today's message. And it's this sentence right here. If you don't dream the dream and... Take the risk. You forfeit the miracle. I am going to say that again. Then I want to invite you to say it to the person beside you. If you don't dream the dream and, emphasis on the and, take the risk, then you forfeit the miracle. I want you to turn the person on your left and look at them in the eye and say, If you don't dream the dream, everybody participate, come on, and take the risk, you forfeit the miracle. Tap the person on the other side and say, if you don't dream the dream, it might be the same person, It's fine. And take the risk. You forfeit the miracle. See, what a lot of us like to do is we like to dream the dream. And then we leave it there. But what I've discovered is oftentimes once we dream the dream, there's often a risk that's our next step. In this series, we're talking about discovering the next step that God wants you to take. Last week we identified the promise. And this week we're going to talk about taking risks of faith. So I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible to Roman Romans, Numbers chapter 11. We're going to kind of skip through this chapter and look at this very interesting story that Moses finds himself in. Now, if you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it. The scriptures will not only be above my head on this screen, but also if you have a phone with you or a tablet, if you have the YouVersion app, which is a free download, whether you have Android or Apple, whether you're, you know, don't know Jesus or do know Jesus, anyway, um, <laughs> no correlation, I promise. That's um, a free download. You can download it. You click in that link or click in that app, the live link. You can search for the word vertical and you'll find the scriptures and notes and places to take notes there. Um, Moses knows a thing or two about feeling stupid, feeling foolish. Right, Moses, if you're familiar with his story, this is the guy that stands in front of Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptian nation, who all of the Egyptians consider to be God on earth, and he says, Hey, Pharaoh, I want you to let this massive people group go. I want you to release them. I want you to let, them, let God's people go, as Charlton Heston said so wonderfully. Not only did he do that, but Moses stands in front of the Red Sea, and the, they're, they're being chased by this army, and he lifts up a stick over the Red Sea hoping that something would happen you know, foolish, stupid there's a big chance here and what happens is once God delivers the Hebrews uh, Moses discovers something in this chapter he discovers that it's actually more difficult to get Egypt out of the Israelites than it is to get the Israelites out of Egypt he discovers that his job is not finished just because they've gotten out of Pharaoh's grass. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with verse 4. We're going to kind of bounce through this chapter and, uh, and kind of look and ask the question, what does God want us to do today? So verse 4, here we go. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And Again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. What's up with the onions and garlic? Anybody like onions? You like onions and garlic together? This is why nobody's sitting beside you. (laughs) But now we have lost our appetite. Listen to this sentence. We never see anything but this man. If you're not familiar with this story, what's happened is God has freed his people from Egyptian bondage. And he's been feeding them. They're wandering around the desert. And literally stuff is falling from the sky, landing on the ground. And they're going and picking it up and making like bread cakes and, and eating that. Manna. They called it manna from heaven. And God is supernaturally, miraculously feeding this people out of nothing. And yet, we're tired of eating this. We're, we're done. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a hardcore carnivore. I like meat. And if you've never been to a Brazilian steakhouse where they serve all-you-can-eat meat, what you need to do is you need to find one and then call me up and take me with you, because I haven't been either, and we need to go together, right? You can pay for it. You need to find us an all-you-can-eat Brazilian steakhouse and enjoy this. And so I get it. I understand. They, They want some meat, but... The thing they've forgotten is that the reason the food's free in Egypt is because they weren't. They weren't free. Not only were they slaves, but they were victims of genocide. Egypt had tried to destroy the whole ethnic population of the Hebrews. And now they're complaining. What's really interesting is they're complaining about one miracle while asking for another miracle. We ever do that? You ever ever found yourself doing that? We we do that all the time, right? We complain about all the hundreds of miracles around us while asking God to do another miracle. I mean, the fact that you and I are sitting here and and this little muscle inside of our chest is beating five quarts of blood through our body is miraculous through hundreds of thousands of miles of veins and arteries and capillaries. That's amazing. It's miraculous. All the while, we have the ability to concentrate even though we're spinning uh, on this planet traveling 67,000 miles an hour around this huge giant fireball while spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. The fact that we can concentrate is a miracle. And yet, all the while, we're experiencing the miracles every day and we complain about, God, we don't like this miracle. Could you do another miracle? Amen. And so the Israelites are doing this and God's a little, you know, probably ticked off about it. And I love how he responds. If you jump down... To verse 18. God says this. He says tell the people. Consecrate yourselves. In preparation for tomorrow. When you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. I love this right here. Now the Lord will give you meat. And you will eat it. (laughs) You will not eat it for just one day. Or two days. Or five, ten, or twenty days. But for a whole month, listen it's to this. So until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it, you want meat to eat. I'll give you so much meat to eat it make you sick. <laughs> you ever say that to your kids? I say that to my kids. You want candy? I'll give you so much candy you never want candy again. <laughs> <laughs> you Stop asking for candy. I'll give so so, you some. Know, right? It's kind of God, you know, I'll give you so much meat to eat you never want it again because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have well before him saying why why did we ever leave Egypt so God in this way that only God can with a with a little bit of compassion mixed with a lot of sarcasm mixed with you're going to get what you will get uh, you know tells Moses hey say this to the people and tell them this is what's going to happen and Moses responds because he knows he knows the size of the crowd that he's traveling with and listen to what he says he says verse 21 Here I am among 600,000 men. So it's not counting the women and children. 600,000 men on foot. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? In other words, Moses Moses says, God, I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of people here. And I'm I'm trying to do the math, and it's not adding up. Now, I, God, I granted I didn't get past eighth grade algebra, but listen, I six hundred thousand people. That's that's a lot of meat, God. How 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 do you plan on doing this? That's impossible. There's no way. There's no way. No way. Have you ever been there? God tells you to do something, and you're like, God, this math doesn't add up. God ever tell you to take a job that you actually make less money at than the job you had before? God, what are you talking about? This math doesn't add up here. I don't I don't, I don't see how. God ever tell you to go on a mission trip and you look at the cost of the mission trip and say, <laughs> I don't have that money. God, what, what, do you, what do you expect me to do? God ever tell you to do something crazy? And you do the math. It doesn't add up. One of the greatest examples of this that many of you uh, participate in the exercise right now is tithing. Tithing is one of the, the best uh, illustrations of God telling you to do something absolutely ridiculous. I, I want you to live it off of 90%. And here's the deal. It's actually better for you. And you'll have more if you try to live off of 90% than if you live off of 100%. I can do that math. God, 90%, 100%. This this doesn't add up. But as so many of you have already realized in your life, those of you who are taking our 90-day tithing challenge right now, I've heard stories from you to say, "I I don't understand this, but I started tithing, and I'm giving more, and I have more in the bank. This doesn't make sense to me. Um, I started tithing, and then right after that, I got this promotion, or I started getting these extra contracts, or I just discovered that nothing really changed in my financial situation, but I had more money in the bank, and I don't understand it. The math doesn't work, but it's true. There's another illustration in the New Testament where uh, the math doesn't add up. Jesus is, is teaching and, and preaching to this group that at least numbers 5,000. And we know there's more because only the men were counted at the time. didn't include the women and children. And Jesus is talking and preaching. And all of a sudden, it gets time and everybody's hungry. They didn't have Taco Bell. They didn't have McDonald's on every corner. You know? They didn't have any fast food places. And so Jesus tells his disciples, hey, well, why don't you feed them? Like, when you talk about why don't you feed them? And there's this little boy, we don't know his name, but he has five loaves of bread and two fish. And he gives them and, you know, the disciples, they look at it and they think, well, it's really sweet. It's precious. Oh, the precious little boy. Listen, I don't know if you're from the South. I I spent a lot of time in the South. If somebody calls you precious, it's not a good thing. (laughs) That's what the disciples do to this little boy. Oh, he's so precious. Look at that. He's so sweet. And so Andrew just kind of says and verbalizes what everybody else is thinking. And he says, how far will these go with so many? In other words, they say, Jesus, this is what we had. And we've done the math. Five plus two equals seven. And you've got 5,000 plus. But when Jesus gets in the mix, five plus two doesn't equal seven. Matter of fact, five plus two doesn't even equal 5,000 or plus 5,000. 5 plus 2 when you add God to the equation equals 5,000 plus remainder 12. Now I don't I know in division you get remainders, but I don't know how you get remainders in addition. But when Jesus gets into the equation, it happens. 5 plus 2 all of a sudden they feed the whole crowd and take up 12 more basketfuls of food. How does that happen? How does that math work out? I I don't know. I don't have an answer. It's beyond my ability to conceive. But what I do understand is that if you put what little you have in your hand into the hand of God, it won't just add up. God will multiply it exponentially. So what is the big, wild, crazy, audacious, daring, impossible dream that you have in your life? What is it? What is it that God has planted inside your heart to do and to realize and to achieve? What is that dream? What is that miracle? What is that impossibility? And then, is there a step of faith you need to take? Is there a step that doesn't make much sense, but you know it's the next step you need to take in pursuing that dream? And it's a risk. And it requires faith. Listen to what happens in the rest of the story. If you jump down to verse 31. So Moses tells, All right, guys, God said he's going to do this. Now, a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night, and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. Now, I don't know what a homer is, and neither do the New York Yankees. But we'll find out. See, the Israelites right now are in this geographic place called the wilderness of Quran. They're about, they're about 50 miles away from the Mediterranean Sea and about 50 miles away from the Dead Sea. Now, if that doesn't make much sense to you, that's fine. What you need to understand is this is not the habitat for birds. Typically, quail like to stay close to water. And this is not close to water. And quail don't really fly that far. They're not, they're not like eagles. They're more like turkeys. They don't don't have a really great flight pattern. And a day's walk is conservatively 15 miles. And so if you square the radius and multiply by pi, (laughs) that's about 700 square miles. Now, if that For for those of you who are familiar with Chesapeake, Chesapeake is one of the largest geographic cities, not only in the state of Virginia, but actually in the U.S. Geographically, not population-wise, but geographically, it's huge, right? You go all the way to Western Branch, all the way to North Carolina, it's just huge. It's about 340-some square miles. In other words, God brought quail in, birds in, to cover an area... Twice the size of the entire city of Chesapeake. Three feet deep. Okay? Three feet deep. There's just birds everywhere. It's like bird blizzard. <laughs> if they're flying in, they're thinking, solar eclipse. Ah. It's like the movie, right? The, the, the birds movie. It's creepy. But this is absolutely crazy. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine the ridiculousness of what these people are experiencing? twice the size of Chesapeake, wading three feet deep in quail. And it says each person gathered 10 homers. That's 600,000 men at least. That's where we can kind of say that's 6 million homers. And a homer is about 200 liters. So if you calculate the average size quail, that's over 105 million birds. God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you meat for a month. You're going to be so sick and tired of it. You're never going to want it again. And 105 million quail later, God provides. And God doesn't just provide enough because God never just provides enough to get by. God oftentimes surprises us and we realize, well, we got more than enough. We got quail coming out of the wazoo. And so... What's the promise that you need to claim? Is it it a dream about your marriage? Is it a dream or a promise about your children? or, Or this stage of life that you're in? Something that you want to accomplish? A life goal? A dream that you've had since you were a little boy or a little girl? Is there fear that you have that you're facing? Or is there a dream that you're pursuing? God specializes in impossible. Now, before that, before the quail event took place, or the bird blizzard, whatever we want to call it, God asks Moses a question, and this is the question I believe God's asking you and me this morning. happens in Numbers 11, verse 23, and it's not just a question, really it's the question. It's it's the question that challenges all of our preconceived ideas and, and preconceived notions about the size of our dreams. God asked this question, verse 23. Lord answered Moses. When Moses says, how are you going to do this? And he says, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true. In other words, God says, is there any limit to my power? Is, is there any limit? And the obvious answer, if you uh, are a Christ follower, if you know anything about God, is no. Oh, No, there's nothing that God cannot do. God is infinitely bigger than our biggest problem and our biggest dream. And while I'm at it, God is infinitely, His grace is infinitely bigger than your biggest sin. Is, there any, is His arm too short? Is there any limit to what God can do? A.W. Tozer, some of you may have read his works, he, he has this idea, this, he says that a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils, but a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. Your problem, your biggest problem this morning, and my biggest problem this morning, it's it's not a divorce that's on the horizon. It's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is not a failing business that's about to go bankrupt. It's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is not a diagnosis that you got from the doctor. And I don't want to make light of any of those things because they are life-altering and life-changing. But your, pro- your biggest problem and my biggest problem is our small view of God. Is there is his arm too short? Is there any limit to his power? Is his arm too short. It's a, it's a simple yes or no question. It's not like in grade school when you would pass the note to the girl or boy that you like said, do you like me? Check yes or no. And they send it back with a little box in the middle that says maybe that they drew. This isn't, a, this, isn't a, this isn't one of those kinds of letters. This is a simple yes or no question. Is his arm too short? Is there a limit to his power? Is God big enough to heal your marriage? Yes or no? Is he big enough to heal your child? Is he bigger than a positive test result or a negative evaluation? Is he big enough? Is he bigger than your biggest secret sin? Is he bigger than your biggest, wildest, crazy, audacious dream? Is he big enough and God asked Moses this question at the exact moment when Moses realizes that what God said he would do is impossible is the Lord's arm too short you know Moses is struggling here and he struggles like you and I struggle and what he discovers and this is something that I'm trying to grasp hold of for my own life is that real faith is based in God's ability to act Not on my ability to believe. Real faith. My faith is not in my ability to believe, but in God's ability to act. Because even in our unbelief, sometimes God's just looking for an opportunity to show Himself faithful. Isn't that the prayer? Isn't that the prayer of the follower in the New Testament? Lord, I believe. But would you help my unbelief? Is that about, well, I believe God, but sometimes I don't. I just struggle. And so my faith is in God's ability to do it, not in my ability to believe it. And the size of our dreams depends on the size of our God. And if God knows no limits, then shouldn't our dreams know no limits? The fact is, with God, there is no big or small. There is no possible and impossible. There is no easy or difficult. It's all the same to God. And when he gives you a vision, he's already making provision. When he gives you a dream, he already has a plan. And oftentimes that plan requires a step of faith. And it takes courage. Otherwise, what do we say? We forfeit the miracle. We forfeit it. We give it up. So what step of faith do you need to take this morning? The dream that God has placed in your heart and in your your spirit, what, what's the step of faith that you need to take? Is there a decision that you need to make? Is there a promise that you need to put a stake down in and say, this is it? And right now, this morning, I'm not, I want to let you know, I'm not just... I'm not just speaking this for your benefit this is for me too because listen I have dreams I've got visions I've got things that I want to see God do that really look impossible our church has dreams our church has vision we have we have dreams that only God can make a reality we have a dream that there are 800,000 people in our community that are not connected to Jesus and we want to make a difference we want to bring that number down. 800,000, 600,000. It's all the same to God. We have dream. You know we have a vision for a church where unchurched people can attend and enjoy and find Jesus. We have a vision for a church that says everything that we do is so that those who are far from God, whether whether they're far from God and they sit in church every week or whether they're far from God and they've never been to church before in their life. We want to be a church that says, hey, before we get to any of that other stuff, I want to introduce you to Jesus. I want to introduce you to this or that or this. I don't care. Jesus, we want to point people to Jesus. I see a church that is passionate and excited about connecting with people who, are, who, who we would say are lost. Really, it just means they haven't found Jesus. They haven't discovered life. They haven't discovered that forgiveness is already available to them. I see a church that doesn't just meet in one location, but that raises up leaders and raises up people and to, to go and take this, this dream and this vision to other parts of our city and maybe even other parts of our state and I see a church that has partners on every continent maybe even Antarctica we don't know I see a church that's reaching out and making a difference inviting their friends inviting their family saying hey there's more to life than this is his arm too short that the question that we all have to ask ourselves when we're dreaming a dream praying a prayer believing for a miracle is his arm too short is there a limit to what he can do let's pray together
0: thank you so much for joining us today we always appreciate hearing how god is moving in your life we all have a story to tell and we'd love to hear yours